Welcome to The Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. This week, we're switching from Detroit, from the the withering failed state type uh, trend, which has probably seeped through the last few shows, to uh, hopefully one of optimism. I was lucky enough to present at the 16th Global Conference on Environmental Taxation. It was held in Sydney last week. The theme was... Green Fiscal Reform, Protecting Our Natural Resources for a Sustainable Future. So uh, all sorts of leading academics from around the world were there. Ross Garno, Australia's leading resource-based economist and uh, pretty well the bureaucrat behind our emissions trading system, carbon tax debate, uh, chief advisor for the Labor Party, the Rudd government on this issue. And uh, he made a few interesting statements such as efficient market tools are less popular than direct regulation, even if they are more costly. He also made a big call to say that energy distribution, uh, the gold plating behind that, is the second worst resource allocation in the nation's history behind the mining boom. And of course, I had to tweet about that on Earth Sharing, uh, about what about the land price and associated debt misallocation that is at record highs here in Australia. So uh, it's always a lot to take in here on 3CR's Renegade Economist as we analyse the monopoly powers carving away our rights in return for easier and easier profits. And over the next few weeks, I look forward to bringing you more detail on carbon taxation. It's pretty much the theme of today's show, but we've got... uh, bioprospecting and and their related patents from that, indigenous rights. We've got uh, Red Plus and some tax avoidance type discussions as well. So there was a lot covered in this conference and it was uh, very interesting to learn from Chaz Roy Chowdhury uh, from I think the Institute of Accountants in the EU. He was saying, look, Bulgaria is the surprising eco-tax leader in the EU as a percentage of tax taken. And France was the worst. All right, let's step into today's interviews with Sven Rudolf and my friend Agime. Okay, we're at the Global Conference of Environmental Taxation at the University of Technology, Sydney. It's the 16th conference and this is my first time. So I'm stepping into uh, a bit of an inner circle here. We're with Professor Sven Rudolph from Kyoto University. So Sven, uh, tell us about your role at Kyoto and some of the background to environmental taxation from your perspective. Hi everybody, I'm Sven Rudolph. I'm currently working at Kyoto University in Japan teaching basic economics but um, my research has been on environmental economics specifically on um, climate policy carbon trading and environmental taxes but also on political economy questions so how easy or hard it is to implement any kind of climate policy especially market-based instruments Good. So your presentation today uh, focused on the need for social justice in terms of political economy, 
Well, it was actually from an equity front, but I was listening to it going, well, seriously, if we're going to get anywhere politically, uh, we need uh, uh, some uh, handouts for the poor because uh, carbon tax in a way is regressive or emissions trading in some way does filter down. So how do you come up with a formula for that sort of compensation? Well, we, we actually try to define some, some social justice criteria for designing market-based instruments in climate policy, environmental um, taxation, but also carbon trading, and with, which is very difficult, actually. It's, um, we have well-established criteria for environmental issues and also for like economic efficiency but for justice it's pretty difficult and uh, well we we argue that nevertheless it's it's possible to have market-based instruments for climate policy to have designs that are fulfilling um, social justice criteria and well it's not so far the the design recommendations that we have are not so far away from the usual environmental economics um, recommendations and it's basically that you have to have a strong policy with high prices but you give back the revenues either from environmental taxes or from carbon trading back to for example poor communities or the other idea that we had was just giving the the revenues back on a per capita basis because this would mean um, that you're really responding to the idea of of giving each person on the planet the same an equal right to the use of, of the resources. So that's probably the, the best way of spending um, of spending the revenues, not only from a social justice perspective, but also from an economics perspective. Sounds like Peter Barnes' philosophy of the Sky Trust there with a, a touch of the citizen's dividend. That's a sort of what you're implying? Yes, that's, that's exactly one of the ideas that we also uh, laid out in our paper and, and the idea that we used for our paper, right? It's politically, it's really difficult, but at least I think we need a target that we are, that we are heading towards. And this is probably the best target that we can have to use the revenues for, you know, giving them back to the people because at the end, the, the planet is owned by everybody, every citizen of this planet. Yeah, well, we love talk about the commons here. We love talk about uh, sharing uh, uh, the benefits of, of living on this planet together. And unfortunately, so many of those benefits are uh, privatized in terms of uh, economic rents, the property bubbles, uh, uh, the, the license monopolies that are out there. So, uh, uh, so whilst on one side, we've got this social justice aspect in terms of political economy, We've always got these corporate interests, uh, the lobbying powers, uh, the big end of town really leaning against government. And we've seen a number of presentations today talking about that fight between the old money and the new money. And uh, how do you see that as best playing out? Uh, Having been someone in the field uh, investigating this for 20 years, uh, which nation and the various uh, uh, carbon pricing mechanisms do you feel has had the best uh, mechanism to uh, alleviate some of those pressures and bring the corporate community along with this wider environmental agenda? Um, Well, in terms of which country has the best carbon pricing scheme right now, I think... Well, not right now, but in the last 10 years, maybe. Well, I think 
British Columbia does pretty well in terms of environmental taxation. British Columbia has a very high tax rate and it's even increasing so I think it has I think it is even the highest tax rate on CO2 that we now have um, in, in the comparison of all countries and in terms of emissions trading I say I would say it's California uh, the target the California emissions trading scheme it's not it's not the target is not really stringent enough but all the other aspects are pretty well designed it, the coverage is is very broad they um they have very clever ideas about how to spend the revenues especially on um in terms of social uh, justice issues because they're giving lots of um of money back to poor communities um so answering the question on what what are the best schemes in place right now i would i would say the two the eu does pretty well because it has this combination of eu ets plus national um, um, taxes which i also think is a good idea answering to the political economy question i i think it's 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 still pretty tough because you will always have a strong industry community being strictly opposed to any kind of carbon pricing because carbon pricing means higher costs and um, what from from my perspective from my research what we what I think is really really important is a very strong civil society community and this also means strong NGOs strong NGOs who really favor market-based instruments who push for market-based instruments at the political level as a kind of balancing power to corporate industries well, in terms of the uh, negative, com there was a buzzword today uh, in one of the sessions. You were in it, and it was a, a negative competitive element that a carbon tax places. Uh, remind us what that word was and what the, the findings were in that discussion there. The, the competitive issue is, is one, of the, one of the arguments that, that the polluting industries always use for getting um, exemptions from, from carbon pricing. And interestingly, what, what uh, some of the studies of the OECD showed is that this, this competition issue, that this disadvantage from, from pricing carbon or from, from pricing any environmental, environmentally harmful goods is not really an issue it's not it's 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 well it's just a political argument of of the opposition but in all the case studies that the the OECD has done so far it has never been a real issue this this competitive disadvantage so i think it's it's purely a political argument we have to find answers of course uh, we as we as proponents of carbon pricing we have to find answers but in fact it's 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 simply a political argument it's the end of the world as we know it i feel fine good morning slaves and welcome to 3cr this is a stimulator and whenever i want to get some radical propaganda i listen to 3cr 855 am melbourne so we're here with Gime Gebete, and she works at GSE, an NGO in Italy, called Gestore Servizi Energetica. Gime, welcome to the show. Now, 
we've had some interesting discussions here. Uh, give us the lowdown on what's happening in Italy with the state of environmental policy. Uh, thank you for this interview. Uh, first of all, I would like to say that GSE is not an NGO. It's a public agency. And um, yeah, uh, maybe it's uh, also worth it to underline that uh, I will speak here as an author of the book uh, A Symphony for Energy, CO2 in Goods. And then a symphony. A symphony for energy, yes. Wow. And uh, going back to what's going on uh, in Italy on climate change, is uh, being Italy a member of the European Union uh, has the compulsory uh, scheme of, of emission trading uh, scheme on the emissions, which covers the industrial emissions, mainly. So, so it's compulsory? Yes, it's compulsory for the plants that are manufacturing, so cement, steel, paper, and so on. And uh, it includes also aviation. And uh, till 2008, the allocation were grandfathering. And um, in 2008, it was 10% of the of this allocation giving through auctioning, so uh, with not for free. And starting from 2013, the principle was to allocate 100% of the permits uh, through auctioning. But then there are a lot of exemptions because the manufacturers failed sectors, they could get 80% uh, compared to the benchmarks per product. So they exist in Europe, the benchmark on products which measures the, the emissions, the CO2 emissions, uh, ton emissions per ton of product have been calculated for different, for paper there are uh, 10, for steel there are several, two or three, and so on. And um, But this scheme, what are the results of this scheme? Uh, is it working? Because Europe, Europe is doing a lot and is uh, accomplishing all the, the international targets with the Kyoto Protocol, uh, its own targets on renewables, on energy efficiency, on uh, emission reduction through the uh, cap and trade system. But the point is that is this uh, framework working? Uh, is not working. The emission trading especially is not working. And it, uh, do we see that success by the price of carbon permits there, which seem post-2008, the price of carbon permits really fell to uh, lows that almost threatened the viability of the system, didn't they? The carbon permits, uh, the price of them fell from, was it $30 maybe down to uh, $6 or $7? It was something very low. Uh, how's that pricing system playing out now? Yeah, uh, the, the ETS system in Europe is not working for several reasons. It's true, the, first of all, we can say that the price of CO2 collapsed. Uh, from It was uh, supposed as, uh, the, as uh, a CO2 price per one ton to be around 30, 35 uh, euros per ton. But then the price collapsed to uh, 3 euros, yes. It has been a small raise between 4 euros and 7 euros, which is now. Uh, but this is due to the intervention, legislative interventions. And then uh, another reason why the ETS was not working is that um, it has not bring, uh, brought any benefits for the 
global emission reduction because being a territorial um, uh, scheme has contributed maybe to lower the emissions in Europe but also this um, is debatable because Europe has delegated its production to other countries. And maybe the last thing that I can add is that um, is that uh, the ETS was not able to include other subjects, international subjects, in its scheme. Uh, so it hasn't been, from this perspective, no added value, economic value. Well, you're very harsh there, but uh, I suppose that, that is what we need at this state of the world. So let's just reiterate there that the EU, which is something Australia really should take aware of, awareness of, that you are meeting your Kyoto protocols primarily because of these pricing signals that the ETS has assisted, but also I dare say other regulatory uh, elements have also pushed uh, government and business to recognise that uh, carbon intensive industries must be downplayed. So that's really big news because I'm not aware of that. Um, I mean, the, the factors are many. It's not only the environmental legislation that is, uh, fos uh, is fostering uh, or forcing the European industry to go abroad. There is also the energy cost in Europe. The cost of energy is the highest in the world, uh, especially if we compare Europe to China and uh, to US energy price. So it's, it has a disadvantage uh, in terms of competitiveness. Then there are also other factors compared to uh, in terms of uh, uh, labor cost, uh, environmental limits. So there are a lot of uh, factors that push the industry outside and now in Europe somebody says that Europe going to be a market of uh, services but this is going to be very tough because uh, uh, Europe then will face a lot of difficulties because being a market of services requires a very high high schooling for all which is not easy and it's also rather cyclical. When downturns occur, services industries can be cut back uh, very rapidly. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a huge challenge uh, what the EU is going through with uh, these climate refugees. And, you know, we have to sort of ask how the Syrian situation is playing out because uh, it must be putting a lot of pressure on uh, society at large and from that extenuating some of the extreme views within the community. How is that? that underlying tension playing out with uh, the far right. Are they seeing a connection between not only war but uh, and terrorism, but some of the climate factors that perhaps affected Syria in 2010, where a lot of, uh, ext well, the extreme drought there really hurt their crops, and maybe five years on, um, uh, similar sort of trends over that time have, have led people to say enough is enough. Yeah, this is a very political uh, question, but um, what can I say is that also the Pope, Francesco, he mentioned the refugees of coming from as a, as a consequences of climate change. So um, it is an issue. But for Europe, it's becoming now an issue. For Italy, it has been for the last years uh, a continuous issue because the, the immigration is, is not new. 
for Italy. Now it has become a European problem and we will see how they will face also this issue because uh, coming back to the emission trading scheme, the European scheme for emission reduction is under reviewing because it's not working. There are a lot of uh, legislative interventions, which means that it's not a market instrument because, I mean, it's not guided by the market but by legislation uh, in order to raise the price of CO2. And now it will take other two years of negotiation between member states in order to review the directive on emission trading scheme. You're on 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, broadcasting from the 16th Global Conference on Environmental Taxation in Sydney. And we're talking with Gime Gebete. She's from GSE, the Gestore Servici Energetica. Carl, your pronunciation. So, uh, Gime is the author of A Symphony for Energy. CO2 in goods. Now, uh, there's a very interesting concept. Uh, can you give us a summary of your your angle on, on where we need to go in terms of putting a carbon price on our products? Yeah, I think that uh, considering uh, how the international negotiations are going, that are bringing nowhere the world on climate change, uh, and I have doubts about Paris. Of course, I think um, something will be signed, but nobody will be happy. Um, I think that we should find, change our approach and find a measure for, to fight climate change that is independent from the international agreement. And this is my proposal. Uh, I suggest and I make a proposal, concrete proposal uh, that I have also presented to the European Parliament uh, to uh, incorporate the CO2 in goods. So to consider the CO2 as a raw material as, con uh, as a feature of the product, as an also an output of the product. So, because it's not true that uh, the producers uh, um, uh, pollute, because it's more true that the consumers pollute. Because who is buying the products, uh, consuming the products, is polluting. Because if we don't buy, there is no demand for things. And um, we are buying more and more from uh, emerging countries, which has low energy costs and other uh, factors, but this is the main one. And um, if we consider the trade balance between Europe and China is in net, from 2001 when China joined the WTO, is in net loss. And we will continue to buy these product, products from China which has a high intensity of CO2. So buying their products, we are emitting more. Uh, the idea is that we can incorporate the cost of CO2, an administered cost, within the VAT, which is, uh, from my point of view, the best way where to act, the best uh, place where to act, because it's reliable, is, it exists in all the world with different names, but exists, and it gives a kind of recognition. And then, uh, through this mechanism, we can reward the uh, clean product and penalize the dirty products. Uh, this uh, mechanism can have uh, several benefits because it do not it will be in compliance with the WTO because uh, doing so we do not discriminate from the origin of the production so it can be produced in Africa or in Australia or in Europe so 
Europe just set the standards and see what is the, uh, the mission of the product. Does that include then the carbon miles of where that product has been produced and the transportation cost? Uh, it doesn't include the transportation cost, but we, because the, the transport is an issue. But in this mechanism, we cannot include it because uh, it will be against the WTO and it will be a discriminatory because the products that are far from Europe will pay more. So. That's so frustrating, isn't it? So I like the fact that you have CO2 costs embedded in the product and if you like it would, uh, uh, well, it, it could be shown on the pricing tag if you like. And uh, uh, within that, uh, would it be fair to say that, that it's, you're saying CO2, but would a GHG greenhouse gas be um, another way to talk about it since there are so many other gases that uh, have major damage? Yeah, when I say CO2, is a way to say greenhouse gases because CO2 is the more significant one and we take as, a, as an example because it has remained since the Kyoto Protocol was adopted because the measure was CO2 uh, equivalent. So the CO2 is just um, yeah the, the most significant gas but it means all the other gases. Yeah, if, uh, may I, yeah. if may I add something else is that uh, through, uh, sorry, through these mechanisms we will also avoid the financial speculation because with the emission trading scheme Europe faced a lot of financial speculations with uh, losing a lot of money and uh, also the crisis had an impact on the scheme because no production, no need to buy the allowances. So if you incorporate in the VAT the, the CO2 cost then you won't f uh, suffer the, the, the crisis. Also, in case of recessions, the, the, the economy and the system will continue to reward the clean products. And another, another big benefit is that, uh, the, from my point of view, adopting this mechanism will reduce the emissions immediately, uh, the global emissions. Because talking about the territorial emissions, it makes no sense. The emissions that do not recognize uh, the borders. So emissions are globally, and we should find a, a global solution. So we're talking about the penalties here, but uh, how do we distribute this revenue? And there's been quite some discussion about the, the social justice, the regressive nature of uh, these charges. Yes, uh, it's true because also people ask me that maybe this scheme can also have an impact on the poor uh, class. But the point is that um, I, I say yes a little bit, but uh, we should not forget that are the poor classes that are more impact by the localization of industries out of Europe or out of developed countries. Uh, they remain uh, without the work. Uh, but um, the mechanism does not uh, impact 100% uh, the, the poor class, uh, maybe just a little bit, but make them more awareness in choosing the products. Because if you pay uh, higher VAT for the most efficient, more, most, most clean product, you'll have a lower price for that product. And you will have an increase in price for the dirty product. So uh, the gap will be uh, shorter and shorter smaller and smaller so it's true at a certain point I like this proposal and the fact that you're looking for a sovereign solution uh, for getting the, the the dream of 193 nations ever agreeing on one thing it's a great delaying tactic isn't it for the, the next smokestack CEOs to to 
claim their share bonuses and uh, and clean up. So it's good. We need this. And there's been a few academics here who have also been recognising this fact that international agreements are almost passe and we, we can't rely on Paris in total. So what do you think would be a good outcome from Paris uh, uh, with the state of negotiations as they are at the moment? So from my perspective, being an expert, I think that the best outcome can be uh, if the countries that uh, have never ratified the Kyoto Protocol, like US, or the, those that were in the list of the countries, developing countries, would allow the developed countries to measure the emissions, because we do not know the data from these countries. We don't know really the emissions what are. So how can we rely in targets or in data that they uh, supply to us? It's uh, are not reliable. Mm. Well, even in America, there have been cutbacks, haven't there? So uh, thank you very much, Gime Gabete. Fantastic to have you on the show. And um, you'll be able to send us a link to your book and your blog, I dare say. Thank you very much for hosting me today. And so that was the Renegade Economist broadcasting from the Global Conference on Environmental Taxation at the University of Technology, Sydney. So uh, stay tuned for more shows along this theme over the next few weeks. Get in touch via at Earthsharing, renegades at earthsharing.org.au and uh, keep an eye out for the show notes. It's been a busy week. It's been a birthday week. So, yeah, thanks for listening to 3CR's Renegade Economists.